Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraberti. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Uh, well, good, possibly late afternoon or evening, everybody. So we join you uh, at the slightly later than usual time that you're listening to us, thanks to um, a remarkable backlog of work and the ingenuity, as ever, of Coop. Yes, our lovely Coop, who, if you don't know, is our wonderful producer, editor, emotional support system, really, isn't she, to be honest? Yes, I should be clear, I didn't phrase that very carefully. The backlog and various other problems are the reason for the lateness, uh, but Coop is not part of the reason for the lateness. She is the solution to those problems. Good. As always, and Mark, you're back with us. Welcome back. Welcome back to the introductions. Thank you, Michael. Yes, I, I was, um, well, quite literally in Swindon last time we did an intro. But here I am, back with my intro A game. And in fact, quite close to revealing the... The week's guest, I think. And we actually recorded this week's guest while you were in Turkey. So from Swindon to Turkey and back to London, it's been quite a lot for you. Who do we have this week? I can tell you, if you like, Michael. I'd like that very much. Thank you, Mark. Well, it's very much a case of the writer, comedian and generally versatile artist, John Luke Roberts. Bizarre that we string out the introductions to who these people are going to be, considering it's in the title and in the artwork. But yes, it is John Luke Roberts. It's a very funny episode, actually. You're right. There's never any suspense as to who the guest is. And yet we do always make out that we're <laughs> revealing it. Like, it's a big deal. We crave the attention that comes from this kind of unboxing vibe. But everybody knows perfectly well, our marketing couldn't be clearer about who it is. <laughs> the graphic is just their name, all big and colourful. Still, uh, before we get cracking with the wonderful John Luke Roberts, we do have some hellos and thank yous to make. Um, we had a wonderful lovely email from somebody called Leo with a leaf emoji after their name who emailed us at menkindpodcast at gmail.com we've all read it and it made us a bit teary so thank you Leo and also a little hello to Charlotte who ran into me in a car park stairwell earlier this week and said that she enjoyed the podcast so hello Charlotte as well yes thank you to those people we've said that we enjoy meeting you the listeners and please do keep coming up to the shows and all of it but uh, ambushing Michael outside his workplace is a bit much, actually, so do be careful about that. <laughs> oh, no, I quite enjoyed it. Let's stop talking about us, and let's start talking about John Luke Roberts. Enjoy this in your ears, or wherever else. That's probably where you're listening to it, to be fair. Very likely ears. Go for it. Well, this week I'm here. Mark is also here. Hello, Mark. Hello. I'm um, actually slightly further away than usual. I'm away on holiday. 
so there's a slightly unusual atmosphere to this one, I think, because I've had wine. And also, uh, immediately before we began recording, Michael revealed some salacious things about a recent hookup. Anyway, carry on, Michael. <laughs> it went south because, well, dear listener, he liked poetry, which... Well, not just that. That's not a deal breaker. He was too into poetry. Well, being into poetry is too into poetry. But we'll move on quickly from poetry because we do have a lovely guest to talk to today. Luckily, we do. Like both of us, an English graduate. But carry on, Michael. <laughs> Hello, John Luke. It's John Luke Roberts. John Luke Roberts is your name fully it's it's john luke roberts hello hello uh, hello who are you please other than a poetry fan well in fact i think of myself primarily as a poet <laughs> so we got off on a bad on a bad foot. It's a long way to come back from here actually yeah. i know it's, it's no i'm a writer comedian performer 36 years old actually these days i've decided to call myself an artist rather than listing things that i do oh. a risk of pretension just artist artist john luke roberts artist would you write that on a form where it says what your job is I've written it on my passport in... Actually, I was going to steal a Josie Long joke from 15 years ago, but I nearly slipped down that road. Can I start again? Hello, I'm John Luke Roberts. <laughs> John Luke is an artist, everyone. Yeah, hello, uh, I'm John Luke Roberts. Ro- oh, bloody hell. I don't even know your own name at this point. It's all going well. Oh, I've just... This has gone... The poetry thing really rocked you, didn't you it? You know what? We were chatting before this, and I felt like, oh, great, I can chat. I'm in a good place for a conversation. Wow, look at me. I'm firing on all cylinders. I made a great joke about the poetry fan. You did, actually. Yeah. It all went very well. <laughs> and then this has started, and I've just nosedived immediately. Michael and I identify with this because some of our best stuff happens before the podcast actually start. If only people could see it, we'd be famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael, put the man at ease. Ask the traditional first question. Yes. Traditional first question, John Luke. Here it comes. What do you think of when you think of masculinity? What do I think about when I think about... I think I've always had very negative connotations when I think of masculinity, mm. which I've sort of worked recently to try and get away from. I always think of masculinity as being angry, scary, dominant, those kind of things. I guess I really think of it when I first was aware of what masculinity was or is, it was as a kid and largely I was surrounded by a lot of women and then my father was quite a scary man. And I think that's kind of where my idea of masculinity came from. And it's taken a lot of time to unpick that. Yeah, it's interesting this because surprisingly often it comes up when we ask for people's masculine role models or heroes, their dad is often mm-hmm. the number one pick. But just having seen some of your work in which you evoke your father, it feels like that's not quite yeah. the situation here. Well, no, I mean, it's a bit annoying, really. I'll keep on banging on about him in pretty much everything I do. <laughs> um, he had many artists do, John Luke. It's sort of an artist's thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just an artist's thing. <laughs> he had an explosive anger. I think that's probably the easiest way of putting it. And he was quite unpredictable. And I was the final one born of the three of us. And he was sort of, everything had been built around his presence and trying not to set him off or make him angry or the rest of it. So he dominated that space a lot. And that's what I still think of as sort of being masculine, or I think of masculinity as a scary quality primarily. What does that do to you when you're faced with that kind of explosive anger as a young person or a child? How does that sort of impact on how you perceive your masculinity, I suppose, in relation to his? Did you kind of feel yourself emulating or avoiding? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely avoiding. I've spent a lot of time being very scared of my own anger and trying to avoid it. Of course, there's nothing wrong with anger as an emotion. It's not a bad thing. And in fact, not expressing it is probably worse than expressing it in sort of safe ways. So yeah, I've, I guess, spent a lot of time avoiding the things about myself, which I have in common with him. And there's quite a few of them. 
and then sort of dived headlong into it by doing a show where I dressed up as him and pretended to be him and weirdly sort of came to terms with our commonalities between that and probably came to terms with various bits of my own masculinity and maleness through that. He was wearing a suit which had balloons in it, by the way. <laughs> as in around the breasts or just... Oh, no, 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 uh, everywhere. Oh, everywhere. To try to, you know, emulate his father's uh, physical sturdiness, presumably. But for someone who hates balloons, it was a tough watch. Oh, yeah, I remember, Mark, you have a phobia, don't you? Balloons popping. I do not like them, but yeah. it was more a tough watch because it was watching someone anatomise their troubled relationship with their father, to be absolutely fair. The balloons weren't foremost in my mind. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> You've come back to, I mean, even in shows that haven't been primarily about him, your dad does creep in sometimes. There's no Oh, he keeps coming. He keep, he comes up all the bloody time. I must say, I think of myself as someone with a wide artistic range, but it, it it's does... mostly Chaucer, a witch, and your dad. If we're absolutely honest, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Chaucer, a witch, and my dad. <laughs> that sounds like a really bad C.S. Lewis parody, doesn't it? Chaucer, the witch, and the father. Might be the title of my next show. I don't know why not. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about this is perhaps not related, but you talk about having tiptoed around to make sure you didn't set him off, all of you. And I think you once told me that you didn't speak really at all for quite a long time as a kid yeah I couldn't speak until I was five I mean I made noise I think I thought I was being understood but I didn't really do the consonants so it'd just be the vowel sounds would sort of uh, and and I tell quite animated stories I think my father I spoke to him as little as possible so I think he thought I was sort of barely um, he thought I barely spoke because I, I think I was worried of saying the wrong thing. How many siblings do you have? Were they male, female, NB? Where were they? Yeah, I have an older sister who's four years older than me and an older brother who's nine years older than me, which was sort of a big enough gap, about 10 years. So he was leaving for university, was sort of nine or 10. And I think nine or 10 is probably when masculinity sort of became something that I even kind of knew about right. or would think about. Um, I was certainly like not forced into any gender roles as a kid beyond the obvious ones that that parents do without thinking mm. and was playing with my little ponies and things like that but then I think at that age the awareness of gender and sexuality and the rest of it kind of creep in you mentioned um, a kind of a fear of your own anger mm-hmm. how did you protest that how did that work for you growing up I would sort of I'd avoid conflict at all possibilities and then anger I would sort of push down I'd go very quiet you know, I'd sort of seethe with it, go to sleep. That was quite good. That solves a lot of things if you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great sleep, isn't it? It's great. Sleep is very underrated as a way of just getting rid of problems for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just avoided it. And this is actually until very recently and through talk therapy that most of the time I wouldn't recognise it and wouldn't let myself sort of feel it or be with it, which isn't great. What do you think were the consequences of doing a show like you did where you went, not just went into it like a stand-up might, but actually put yourself in your dad's mind? Was there a kind of psychic reckoning that happened or something? Did, did you actually understand the relationship differently as a result of doing the show? Yeah, actually, in some ways, I think, God, that was a risky thing to do, mental health-wise. It was, yeah. I thought it when I was watching it. <laughs> and I did it. This was before I'd gone to any therapy and things like that. And I did it very, very shortly after he died, Mm. like within a year, which looking back, I go, my God. But actually, through chance or through design, I don't really know what it was. It really did help the grieving process. And it let me process a lot of things about that relationship and about my relationship to him and how I thought about him and about who he was. 
the stage, I guess, has always felt like a safe space for me so that taking it up there, I was able to confront things that I wouldn't have been and sort of say things that really I'd want to say to him but was never able to. And so actually, I think of my relationship with my father as being a lot better post-death than it was um, <laughs> while, while he was around. But it's something you're always working on, always working through. You mentioned that in the show... Uh, you kind of managed to find some commonalities, I suppose, with your father. Mm-hmm. What were they? Like my father had a lot of good aspects. He was sort of generous. He was intelligent. He was a doctor and a, like a very good cancer doctor, saved a lot of people's lives. So you have also saved lives as well. Yeah, I have. That was the main thing. As a comedian, you know, every joke I tell. <laughs> an artist, please, John Luke. Please. Oh, sorry, I'm an, an artist. artist. As an artist, yeah. we're always saving lives. Yeah, the work we yeah, do that's is it. crucial. You can't get a laugh without saving someone's life. That's what it does. You know, it just. <laughs> that was my motto for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. My motto for a while was I can't save a life without getting a laugh. It was like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd have got them halfway out of the lake, but if they weren't going for the jokes, I'd have to just throw them back in. <laughs> I'm not doing CPR unless there's a decent-sized crowd there. It takes it out of you. Yeah. The show specific, like I was dressed up as him. I was performing him with a very thick sort of like Birkinhead accent in this suit filled with balloons. And I was hurling insults at audience members. <laughs> and really, like, I would just harangue people to apologize to me mm. as him. He had a catchphrase in the show, which was, it's not bullying, it's just teasing. Um, which was, of course, something he actually said when he was bullying my grandfather. It rang very true, I have to say. Yeah. Again, this was not comfortable viewing because you'd already said that he'd only just died. That was what made it quite a brave thing to do, I thought. Well, it was, I don't know about brave. What was fun about it was that the emotional tension and laughter is a release of tension, as is a scream, a release of tension and crying, that like it was really, it was quite easy to get it to work and to get an emotional response because it was such high stakes in a way Mm. that these tensions were so big and that you could kind of go in and... And in fact, when the show was at its best, you'd have different sections, like parts of the audience would be laughing, some people would be crying, and some would be like horrified. And that was sort of electric. But in terms of like his sadism, I was able to enter into that through the spirit of play in an environment where it wasn't going to hurt anyone. It wasn't going to sort of delve into the fear of being like him in those ways and the fear of being angry and letting that anger out. He was kind of a monstrous, absurd version of himself. And it was removed from the actual how scary he was. I'd never asked you this, but did your siblings or mum or anyone see it? My sister didn't. I don't think she would have wanted to. In fact, I know she didn't want to. My brother didn't see it, which I was always quite sad about. I think he'd have appreciated it. And my mum saw it on the third day I did it, which was... um, Yeah. What was your relationship with your brother like? If there was a vision of masculinity that you were finding challenging in your father, what was it like with your brother? Yeah, that's interesting. Because of the age gap. And when I was a child, my brother, I guess, wasn't around so much because, you know, him and my mum kind of got the brunt of my father's anger. So he would hide himself away a lot. He'd be out a lot. He'd be doing other things. I remember as a, like, 10-year-old thinking he was really cool because he was in a rock band. Oh, my brother was in one of those. It was called Caged with a K. Oh, like corn. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother was also, so that is a full <laughs> house. My brother was in a Welsh band called Bridfo, which roughly means mindfuck. And um, he was younger than me, but because he was cooler than me, he used to sneak into Wales to play with this band when my parents thought he was doing his homework. Remarkable. <laughs> we don't know what your brother's band was called, Luke. They were called Betty Sings Bass. 
which actually I think is quite a good name. It was off the back of the ad campaign, Betty Drinks Carling Black Label, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was, I bet, I mean, Michael won't remember this, but it was... No, it was in the past. You'd see people doing impressive stuff, a bit like these had his Weetabix thing. Right. You'd see someone pull off something cool, and then the catch was, I bet he drinks Carling Black Label. Oh, okay. But then there was a joke where it was Betty. Betty drinks Carling Black Label. Oh, it's not so a bad the name. The band references that. It is a good name, actually. Betty becomes Betty, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were quite good. And then he went to university, was in Germany for a few years, and I've got a, a quite a good friendship with him now, but that's come kind of adult years really so it seems like when you're growing up there's sort of a bit of an absence of perhaps positive masculine role models would you agree yeah we always ask about role models as we've said dad comes up a lot an older brother comes up a fair bit but it doesn't sound like you were in a position for either of those to be the answer no i mean my godfather james was very active in my life growing up much more hands-on than most godfathers i think much more present and would sort of take me out and be at my birthday parties things like that but weirdly, I always think of like his good qualities are qualities I associate with being feminine. You know, he was caring, he was sort of thoughtful, he was kind, those sorts of things. And why do you think you associate those qualities with being feminine? Um, because they're qualities my dad didn't have, I think, right. when it comes down to it. Were there any kind of positive models of masculinity in pop culture or kind of outside of your immediate family group? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I was big on them. <laughs> yeah, those guys got a lot done they got a lot done the turtles are very difficult if you actually take them literally as role models very hard to live up yeah, to I absolutely. Think. most of us can't be heroes in a half show <laughs> here's a confession I can't tell them apart really I just don't know what the colours mean by their little bandana things well they've got different weapons though haven't they I like how you showed me what a weapon was in mime there just in case there was a cross between driving a lorry or holding nunchucks yeah weapons. it was nunchucks I was doing nunchucks <laughs> you got it it was nunchucks <laughs> What about now? Who do you think to now in terms of good role models for masculinity? You know what? I really don't think I think about masculinity that much. I haven't really come to terms with it. And so when I think of role models, I'm not sure that gender comes into it or, or gendering comes into it an awful lot for me. Just knowing you, reasonably, but as I do, you have a partner who's non-binary. Yeah. And I'd say for most of the time I've known you, actually, you're relationship with the idea of gender has been quite well quite non-gendered in fact you know perhaps you don't think about masculinity that much because you, among people i know you don't seem to think of things in a particularly masculine stroke feminine way anyway and presumably the relationship has kind of contributed to that yeah i think that's true yeah we got married two years ago we generally use husband is the non-binary word for spouse that we've fallen on can you spell that was husband michael looks shaken there's almost no word like this that michael hasn't come across before but he does look shaken i think we made it up it's because spouse sounds a bit too formal yes you know there's nothing very loving about yeah. saying spouse it's a weird word should be in a rough yeah and perhaps some frilly things around your hands and then when you say partner it sounds like i want people to know that we've put some effort in here you know we've <laughs> we've filled in forms so H-W-U-S-B-A-N-D. Husband. Husband, yeah. Oh, I see. Although other people end up saying husband, but River's not open to husband. So husband, it will stay. It seems to be like a husband writing that down, it feels. Hus. You kind of need like the hu at the beginning, don't you? Like a hu. Yeah, I understand. I think if you drop the U, it would be husband. But I don't know how you make a hu noise. Well, that's practice. Luke's worked for hours on that. <laughs> that sort of flourish doesn't just come. He's an artist. The guy's yeah, not. I'm an artist. That's it. It's... Am I right in thinking that your previous relationships you were in a polyamorous relationship well we are actually i am with my right but not like well actually i don't know what <laughs> i guess most of the time you'd say an open relationship right there's two of us in our relationship at the moment yeah so what's the difference between 
open? Is that a silly question? Well, I don't even know if it's just the way we talk about it or if it's more... I think it's being open to emotional connections outside the relationship rather than just physical ones, or that's sort of how we mean it. I guess my interest comes from how how you understood that as a thing, how that was an option for you. Where did that come from? Yeah, you were the first one of the first people I knew who talked about it. In, in the world? One of the first people in the world to do it? One of the first 10 people in the world, yeah. I came up with it. I saw you on a BuzzFeed article. I came up with it. I said, hey, guys, guys, <laughs> look, I've got an idea for this thing which is just going to fill Sunday supplements of papers for the next 10 years. <laughs> It'll be great. And people will talk about it and they'll talk about it in a kind of salacious way, but also they'll be quite judgmental about it when <laughs> yeah. they talk about it as well. Oh, it'll tick all the boxes for what they want. Come on, guys. I call it Robertsing, you said at the time, but that never really caught on. Yeah, Robertsing, that's what I said. <laughs> and then happily... Or maybe ironically, one person agreed with me. So we've ended up in a a two-person relationship. Yeah, I think with my partner before River, we opened our relationship up and sort of... And I think it was more difficult moving from a monogamous relationship into a sort of ethically non-monogamous one Mm. to sort of navigate it and navigate your own needs and wants and the rest of it and how that's going to work. But my relationship with my husband was open when we started and very much kind of on those terms. You carried off husband so well there. Yeah, it's a thing of beauty. You do start to Thank you. It. You see, actually, I came up with the word husband and the word wife, but just recently put them together and made husband. I've... You've done a lot more work than people realise. You've coined a lot uh, of terms. I know all these things. You know the Grand Canyon? That was you, wasn't it? That was me. Yeah, and you invented chess and apple juice, I heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. The funny thing is, I invented chess and apple juice on the same day. Yeah, like Dolly Parton writing those two songs in one day. Yeah, it was so I could take Sunday off. <laughs> Presumably it does alter your idea of what men in inverted commas and women are meant to do. It feels like a lot of our ideas of male and female roles do come from the institution of marriage and, you know, monogamous Mm -hmm. relationships and stuff. Presumably it makes your idea of all that a bit more fluid if you're not thinking of your relationship in quite those terms, is it? I think it probably does. I mean, there's a big question. My husband is American, so in order to be together, we had to get married. Mm. So... I'm not sure whether that's something we would have done without it. But having done it, it feels very right for more than just the, you know, practical reasons. Yeah. And part of the reason I think that there's um, a kind of suspicion of marriage is because of those, like, all the baggage it comes with, the idea of kind of property ownership and, you know, passing on your daughter and a house to a man, all those things. Taking the name of the man, all of this stuff. Yeah, that I think is very... Not to criticise anyone who does it, I just find it weird that it's not more commented on or not more questioned, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's now a strange idea. Again, anyone is free to do it as far as I'm concerned, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel legally that necessary for anyone to bear the same name as their partner, not if the paperwork's done. So then, But that said, when you've got such a long surname like me, it's hard to kind of double barrel, isn't it? It's not fair to any children to double barrel Chakraverty something else. Of course, if you could trade it in for Smith, you would, but... (laughs) Actually, I used to think I would, but now I purposefully wouldn't just to prove a point. <laughs> You'd hang on to Chakraverti regardless. I think I would. I was thinking about it when you were talking there, and I think actually if I ever find somebody who isn't a poetry lover, I think I would probably... <laughs> I think I'd like to have the same surname because I'd like to share a surname. I'd like that to be a thing that we share together, perhaps. But I think it's also different because I've been a same-sex pairing, so the power balance and the history of that is 
well, we, there isn't really a history. It's only been a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the government's going, it'll not be for much longer. So it must get my skates on, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, yeah, what do people do? In terms, I mean, do they sometimes find a mutually acceptable third name or do they? I've got friends who just haven't just kept their previous surnames. But I think it's for me, it's I'd like to share something with that person. Yeah, that makes sense. I just interjected there. Sorry, this isn't about me. <laughs> it's partly about you. About a third, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, just on the surname thing, we kept our own surnames. But if we have children, yeah, the plan is a new name, a sort of family name. Would you come up with a whole new one? Or would it be like husband and you would kind of combine surnames? Well, discussions are ongoing. Oh, I see. Okay, TBC. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, half-jokingly, people commenting on your relationship about how they perceive your relationship if it's non-monogamous. What's your experience of that been? Yeah, it depends. I mean, largely, I just, we probably don't tell a lot of people. So we're sort of open about it. But if it doesn't come up, we don't really mention it. This podcast has well over a million listeners, though, Luke. So, <laughs> Well, I thought this would be my big reveal. <laughs> There's always people want to know. Well, I don't know. With friends, it's a different thing. There is an interest in... It's hard to... And it's also, as I'm talking about this going, it's hard to know how much my own maybe internalised stuff is making me project attitudes that other people might have. Mm. But there's definitely a kind of feeling of, oh, that never works. I mean, I've heard that said quite a lot. Of, oh, you can't do that. It's not going to, you're kidding yourselves, that kind of thing. Mm. There's an idea that eventually one or the other of you will be threatened by. Well, I certainly have also heard people say that, but I don't really know what their arguments are. Well, the arguments don't really make sense because monogamy or pretended monogamy often doesn't work anyway. No, I'm pretty sure I've read books where it didn't work out or films or something. Yeah, and it's just whether it happens at the beginning or the end of the film, you know what kind of film it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the problem, which I think actually is the technical problem, is the admin of the thing. You know, the sort of... Because time is finite, I suppose. And so there's an awful lot of discussion and sort of making sure you communicate. And in fact, I think for us, it's definitely improved our level of honesty with ourselves and with each other. Yeah, practically... I think it can be a, that's where difficulties come in. But equally, that doesn't have to be the case. In terms of scheduling, I'm really talking about. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have to share a calendar, don't you? You do put in the calendar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scheduling is a key skill in relationships, to be fair. I'd also say, like, it feels so normal. I find it almost hard to step out of it and look at it and take it apart because it, mm. most of the time it's just it's more an attitude than anything else. It's kind of openness to the world and a mm. happiness with your partner's happiness and then finding whatever they do in other places. But all those things are sort of the opposite of what you would expect from the typical idea of masculinity, right? The man is the jealous partner who feels ownership over their partner and all those things. And it feels sort of like everything you're talking about is the antithesis of that right i can hear you by the way michael you can hear me <laughs> yeah i take all of this really personally right sorry i was like we're we having technical issues again <laughs> but you're right traditional monogamy has an awful lot of negative stereotypes which we all kind of acknowledge without even thinking that they're that much of a problem well right. can i compliment you both on bringing this back to the topic of the podcast thank you so much we're really professional over the weeks we've got really good at doing that <laughs> Yeah, the very idea of kind of cuckoldry shows that that's right. Like jealousy is the husband's yes. problem and that's the, yes. yeah, the man is humiliated. By the way, just quickly on cuckoldry, you know how like horny has become a thing? Oh. Is that from cuckolds? Remember in like Renaissance plays and stuff, yeah. they used to wear horns and that made them the cuckold. The cuckold did wear the horns, yeah. Is that where that comes from? Oh, it's a great question. I've got no idea. Whenever someone says they're horny, does that mean that they are essentially a scorned husband? So the song from the 90s would have been, I'm a cuckold, a cuckold. Cuckold, cuckold. <laughs> Such a cuckold, 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 yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. Your original point was that these ideas like cuckoldry and all of this sort of humiliation that comes from being cheated all of these things these tropes of jealousy are strongly associated with men and the traditional male female relationship yeah i suppose so i used to be quite jealous and then it was like i turned it off which was wonderful because i think that's not a very helpful emotion or state of mind or how did you turn it off yeah that's the question i don't know it just i sort of woke up one morning and decided not to be it anymore and it worked it does make me wonder about other things in my life i could do the same for i was just going to ask <laughs> yeah does it follow from that that some of the traditionally masculine qualities that what well, not exactly qualities but states of being characteristics yeah that we reject is it as simple as possibly just waking up and deciding not to be like that anymore. Well, I mean, I guess no, because like anger is something I tried to turn off and tried to push down and it just came out in obsessional thinking and various other self-destructive things to do. So, but I guess is jealousy an emotion or is it something else? There's something that you know, compersion, the idea of compersion which is finding pleasure in what would normally be jealousy, like finding happiness in your partner's uh with someone else that you kind of change it around. Oh, that's interesting. And there's a weird thing where like of course I went to clown school. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? And that kind of <laughs> That explains the red nose and the strange tear on your cheek and the funny shoes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in that I learned that cuz the clown is an idiot and does all these embarrassing things that people laugh and actually found through that a way of taking pleasure in embarrassment like instead of right. finding that feeling Uh, oh my god this is the worst thing ever actually going oh this is fun look and that ability to change it into something else i think that's more or less what i did with jealousy i mean of course there are still moments when those little like doubts come in but on such a lower level now compersion did you call it johnny yeah compersion interesting thought about clowning as well though because you're absolutely right like it makes complete sense to me and again is the opposite of what people think about as a masculine trope in that people who are masculine don't like to be embarrassed and a lot of the rage we see the misogyny the masculine rage we see a lot of that comes down to embarrassment uh, something is kind of popping into my mind recently as we've been talking about all these sort of tropes that you have kind of disengaged with what is your relationship with masculinity now would you say um you have said that you don't think about it that much and that's an answer in itself i'm aware that i 
think negatively of it and so to dismiss mm. it and those things. I know kind of I have to do a certain amount of work at the moment to engage with it in a different way and to actually work out what I think it is, you know, and see the positives in it and find the positives in those things. Just like yeah. masculinity and femininity are both good things and we all have both of them within ourselves. And I think I've always felt more comfortable trying to nurture the feminine inside of me and almost ashamed of trying to support the masculine or or those sides of things. Which isn't necessarily also the solution. No, it's not the solution at all. Mm. But I think that's kind of where I am now going, okay, so what's this? I guess that kind of leads us quite nicely into the final question, which we think about in terms of the future and building a new person. What three qualities mm-hmm. would you want to build into a new person to help them kind of thrive in this world we're in? What is the question, a new person or a new man? Oh, <laughs> is the answer different? Well, yeah, we've phrased it both ways in the past, actually. We're not forensic about it. I, I sort of feel man is not a bad way to phrase it because we are specifically talking about how men could be better, although you can define a man however you want, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. true. I guess the qualities I always think of as like curiosity, openness, knowing yourself, I think is so valuable in like the people you like to spend your time with are always people who know themselves and have kind of done that work and found their place there. I'd also like, I would imbue the quality of the knowledge that they don't have the wherewithal to build an entirely new man and get it right. <laughs> Very good. It's the first time we've had that, a sort of meta answer, basically. Yeah. It's the first time someone's called us on our bullshit by pointing out that a good quality to have would be not thinking you can build a bear, essentially. Essentially. Wait, a bear? <laughs> oh, I know the answer to building a bear. <laughs> Definitely claws, big old mouth, love of honey. Yeah. Cuddly belly. Why not? They're the bears I love. <laughs> a hugger. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been genuinely brilliant. And thank you for being so open. It's been a really lovely conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. It's always weird as, you know, I am an artist, but sort of primarily I go out and try and get laughs and so when I start having a serious conversation all I think is oh I should be being funnier oh you were funny as well I think you got a bit of funny in there you definitely did one of our specialist areas is to make normally funny people feel uncomfortable about what they're talking about (laughs) fantastic then you've done your job today (laughs) (laughs) where can we find you Luke where can people find you online and so on your projects well my website is johnlukeroberts.co.uk and that's where sort of information about upcoming gigs and things is I have a podcast called Sound Heap which I fully recommend, and which you're on, Mark. It's great, actually, yes. It is uh, sprinkled through the series. It's a very unusual, it's hard to describe the idea of the podcast, but it is a sort of podcast made up of pretend other podcasts, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, the idea is there's this fake podcast network, and this is their taster they put out of all the different podcasts they make, and there's like dozens of different comedians making up podcasts, and it's. Uh, I'm so proud of it that I find it quite hard to sell because as soon as I start talking about it, I'm like, sell it, Luke. You've got to get people listening, Luke. You've got to sell this. Yeah, the idea, you can't do justice to it without it sounding shitter than the actual product is. It's a common problem. That's why we have PR people. It's really but good. It's great, actually. Sound, oh. do look it up. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Is that right? Everywhere you get podcasts. And social media. Where do you live on social media? Now, this is quite funny, actually. The relationship with Twitter is interesting to talk about. Yeah, I have yet to find a balance in my life which allows me to use social media healthily. Right. So I've left Twitter, but I've passed my Twitter, which is at J. Luke Roberts, over to the comedian. Oh, yeah, Josh Norris. And I don't really know what he's doing. And I'm not paying him for it, but he seems to enjoy it. And I send him WhatsApp messages saying, oh, can you let people know I've got an album out and they can order the vinyl on my website? And then he tweets it. It'd be handy and, to have a Twitter account for that sort of thing, actually, but there we go. It would be. But if I go on Twitter, I just, I scroll for hours. I make myself angry. I make myself sad. I can't, I can't use it in a healthy way just to sell my wares. Um, thank you so much. That's been incredible. And have a lovely rest of your day, I suppose. There's still some left, isn't there? Yes, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah, sorry for making you be so serious, but uh, that's what we like to do sometimes in this thing. <laughs>
Thanks a lot, Luke. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Have fun in Turkey. Not you, Michael. (laughs) Not you. No fun for you. (laughs) Bye. And that was, quite literally, John Luke Roberts. A lovely conversation. Quite a wide-ranging one, actually. We haven't spoken so much about some of the negative influences in our lives as we grow up. So that was quite an interesting chat, I thought. It was indeed. And what I, I find satisfying is that next week we go into a guest with, in all sorts of ways, a, quite a different take on masculinity from John Luke's. Yes, indeed. We have the wonderful Jordan Stevens, who some may know from Rizzle Kicks, which is a band that he was in. Um, some may know from all of his acting. He was... Well, he was in Star Wars and Skins and also quite recently Feel Good, which was written by Mae Martin, who is a, a brilliant comedian. Jordan was a brilliant chat as well, one you're going to really enjoy, I think. Yes, he also appeared on a show called The Celebrity Island with Bear Grylls in 2017. Ah, uh, no one's heard of that, Mark. A broadcast no. which I absolutely never refer to. And um, <laughs> it feels to me as if because of the number of things that he does and how sort of easily distracted he is. It's been about since 2017 I've been trying to persuade him to be on the podcast. So a personal triumph for me that we finally nailed down this busy polymath. And I am going to use that word. (laughs) In between now and then, you're more than welcome. In fact, we would actively encourage you to rate us on your podcast apps. Um, We like five stars. It helps our little fragile egos. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and by emails. And how can they do that, please, lovely Mark? What I would do if I were in these people's position is to use at Menkind Podcast across all of these social media. And then, actually, I've forgotten how you do email. <laughs> it's menkindpodcast at gmail.com. And also, in the meantime, you can listen to John Luke's podcast. Yes, that's right. Uh, again, it's called Sound Heap, and it is a sort of meta podcast. It, it came about because he did a funny Twitter strand where he thought of hundreds of stupid ideas for podcasts. And then uh, eventually came up with the idea of making a podcast that was a sort of amalgam of all of these. It's hard to describe, but uh, very, very funny and original, I think. And yeah, like it or not, I'm even in it. And also, you're in Scotland this week, is that right? I am in Scotland, but um, between the weather and the transport chaos and the climate summit, good luck getting there to see me. (laughs) If you're already in Scotland, it might be possible. Yes, do look up Mark's gig dates online. He's very funny. It's sort of his job. It's sort of his thing. But he's very good. I quite liked it. I've got nothing to plug, so I'm just going to say goodbye. Yes, have a lovely week. And perhaps I will, almost certainly I will see a handful of you north of the border. See you there. And the rest of you, yep, see you next week. See you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.